Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This season, the Thursday Club on Fulhamish is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every televised Fulham fixture over the course of the 23-24 season. And with our upcoming game against Wolves at the Cottage live on Sky Sports, if you can't get to SW6 on the Monday night, head to your local Green King Sport pub instead and they will be showing the match. Also this season, Green King have launched the Green King Sport Instagram page, which is home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. They've already given away Champions League final tickets and signed shirts as well. So follow them at Green King Sport for your chance to win those great prizes and find out all about their special upcoming deals. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. Welcome to the show. My name is Jack Collins and this is the Thursday Club. I've been given hosting duties two weeks in a row. Makes me feel very, very special. And joining me live from Paris, from a cafe in Paris, not the Cafe de Paris, Mr. Peter Rutzler. How are you doing, mate? I'm very good, thanks, Jack. Very good. As we were saying before, there's a... a Unusual etiquette. It's a bit comsy comsa with uh, using a, a laptop and uh, and uh, podcasting from a from a cafe. But um, I've gone for more of a more of a mainstream cafe, so less likely to be shoved out. And also means I can plug the laptop in. So um, let's see how it goes. <laughs> to be fair, it would make one hell of an episode if you get thrown out of a French cafe live on air in the middle of it. Uh, and if that happens, we uh, have adequate, adequate facility for backup. It's Mr. Drew Heatley. How you doing, mate? Hello, back again. I've never been made to work so hard by the Fulhamish boys. This is it, mate. Sammy's away and suddenly I'm like, right, we're getting Drew in. He's to earn his, <laughs> earn his keep a little bit. So it. uh, all good. It's, uh, it's good to have you back, my friend. We'll start with part one where we're going to talk a little bit about the Villa game. Have the final word on that game, which was the last before the international break. In part two, we're going to be discussing Peter's article from last week on The Athletic and kind of looking at a little bit more of a general viewpoint of where Fulham are in this season. And then we have a bucket load of questions in part three. So plenty to get through. We'll start at Villa. I don't think many people, Drew, were expecting us to get anything out of that Villa game. When we spoke about it last week, we were all in pretty much agreement that Villa's home form and the fact that Fulham were were lacking a few key pieces meant this was going to be incredibly difficult. But I don't think anyone was quite ready for the sort of malaise that that first half displayed in this Fulham team. 
yeah, I think uh, we were talking about it last week, you know, 12 in a row at that point. And we, I think there was not much doubt among anyone that it was going to be 13. And, and look, nobody's saying that we should have got anything out of it. Nobody was expecting it. Nobody would criticise us for not. But you're right, it's that first half. And, and, the, and the word you use, malaise, that that's been creeping in uh, in recent weeks anyway. Um, you know, obviously there's a sort of an all right performance against United, Man United, but like the malaise has been there. And to see that... Uh, was 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 you know just a bit too much for some people to take. Um, made the made the atmosphere a little. I know at Villa Park uh, a little bit uh, among the Fulham fans a little bit uh, muted and and yeah, general in general, uh, it's just uh, we get into this international break on the back of you know three losses in four, um, and it all just feels a little bit uh, a little bit muted, as I say. Yeah, I mean Peter, it's a funny one because in the second half, Fulham were much better, much improved. But the damage had kind of been done by that point. And it was going to be a tall task at the best of times to go to Villa Park and get anything. But when you make it more difficult for yourself and allow yourselves to fall into that 2-0 deficit, it, it felt like an impossible struggle. But the second half performance, I think, showed that Fulham are capable of, of, of kind of facing up to these teams and, and having a go. And it was just a, a shame that it came at the point of the game where there was nothing left to be gained for Fulham. Mm. I, I think it's really interesting because... When we look at these four games, they were always going to be really, that really difficult games, right? Spurs, United, Brighton, Villa. Really, really tough on paper. And so you try and think, well, Fulham weren't heavily beaten in any of these games. They weren't completely outplayed in all of these games. So why, why is that sense as Drew like, brightly outlined? Like, why is there this malaise feeling? And then it's when you... I was just thinking back through them and there's so many familiar patterns within them, right? Things that have repeated themselves. Um, poor first halves, you say United, Brighton and, and Villa, which is probably the worst half of the lot, I think. You had mistakes, um, starting with the Spurs game on, which is the most obvious, but um, in each of these games, mistakes have proved costly, goals that directly link back to, to Fulham errors. Again, Villa was, was completely that. Um, and then the other thing is goals. And, and I think that's where it's getting to people a little bit. And it's that's where it kind of feels like ah, oh, this is this is quite frustrating. This is, you know, harder to take than ordinarily. You know, one point from those four games isn't amazing, but it's not bad because these teams are great. And Villa won thirteen games in a row. No one expected a win at Villa Park, but when you see the same thing, it's like okay, well, where does this where does this lead? You know, the, is this going to carry on? Like, how, how how much more of a problem will this be? So, um, I think you're right. I think there is also. It depends, how, again, how you look at it, because in all of these games, there were some really good things to take. Competitive against United, probably deserved to win. Villa second half, really good. Like That was probably got lost because of how poor the first half felt and the fact that in the second half, went on top, Fulham conceded. Um, Brighton second half, again, really good. So <laughs> it's, it's though, I think it's the repetition that's just kind of clouded everything. Um, it is a fog, I think. It was, I saw that written this week, and, and that's kind of, kind of how it feels. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's just that there doesn't seem to be an obvious way out of it. I think Drew is 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 the kind of place we're getting to, and I don't want to jump into a kind of general season point at this point because I I want this section to be about Villa. But I think Peter's right in that the repetition of it and the fact that we're seeing the same problems again and again seem to be the things that are are sitting on maybe the conscience of the fan base and and sitting on and it's one of those games where as soon as Fulham go one 0 down. 
the heads of everyone at the game, watching the game at home, around the world, keeping an eye on it, go down. And that's a, a really tough place to be as a fan base because whilst I don't think anyone was expecting, given the summer that we had, that this season was going to be as good as last, you know, there were performances last season. There were big performances against big sides. Might not have got the result. And again, it's, it's one of those where does this feel more brutal than maybe losing in the last minute to Manchester City last season in another game that Fulham didn't expect to win because of the way that it was almost done and dusted by half time. And, and that's, I think, what's what's sitting on me, what's what's bugging me. It's the way that Fulham are allowing these games to slip away. And and the point being that the mistakes that, that creep in, the errors that we saw at the weekend, this time it was Anthony Robinson at Spurs, it was Calvin Bassey. There are a lot of mistakes going on that were kind of not what we expected to see from Fulham. Fine, if we can't score and we're struggling in creative thirds and, and, and attacking thirds and putting the ball in the back of the net, that's one thing. But last year's Fulham seemed to have a resilience about them that didn't that meant that these mistakes didn't creep in quite as much. And the defensive fall off is maybe slightly more worrying than, than maybe the attacking one, which seems a little bit more expected. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things there as well. The, you know, the mistakes that are creeping in. I think sometimes when it's not going for you, these sorts of things happen uh, more and more. Obviously, the pressure gets to you in those split second situations. We've seen it happen to Robinson a couple of times this term. And if you don't get, um, you know, that run of uh, momentum that sort of, you know, gets you uh, gets your confidence up, then you can uh, you can find yourself second guessing yourself in situations like that, which could lead to the uh, the first goal certainly at, at Villa Park. Um, and you know, we said about it last week. The other thing, you know, you've got to try and get something to hold on to, don't you? And we didn't, we didn't do that. We 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 should have tried to try and get an early an early goal, something to try and you know, something to try and hold on to. And we never we never got that. Instead, we uh, we conceded first. And then I think you you can see that. You know, last season we were better at coming back from positions of adversity. And uh, this term, obviously, as you say, the heads go down, and you almost as a fan, that's really tough to take as well because you can see. You know, as, as Pete was saying, repetition and these things have happened already. We know that we know how the story goes. Heads drop, and we won't get back into it because that's not what we have done this season for whatever reason. Um, so that you know, it, that I think as well sort of contributes to it because the game is over essentially by the first goal. Um, you know, in the minds of the fans, and and you've got to think it's probably seeped into the minds of the players at this point as well. Half an hour in, it's it's done. Yeah, I mean, look, positives to hang on to in in the form that. Raul got his first goal in the Premier League for, what, 18 months and his first competitive goal for Fulham as well, Peter. There was something about his performance, I think, especially in the second half, he maybe was unlucky not to get two in the end. And there was another ball from Castagna that somehow didn't reach him. Um, some brilliant defending from Esri Concer. That was a sign of life. And obviously, lots of people have various opinions on Raul, on Carlos Vinicius, on Rodrigo Meniz as well. But this was a performance in the second half, at least, that showed that there is something in his game that's still waiting to, to, to peek out, I think. Yeah, it was timely. I thought it was really timely, not just, obviously, for, for Fulham, but for him as well, because he'd lost his place, really, hadn't he? You know, we saw the way that um, Rodrigo Muniz came in against Manchester United, the way Marcus Silva spoke about Muniz. You know, really, Jimenez's sort of period of trust and... Uh, where he's been played week after week just to see if he could get that goal. If that was almost the point where he goes, okay, Moon is his time now, or it was Vinicius. It just felt like it was going to pass him by. And Silva spoke about how the 
the pressure was weighing down on him, which was, you know, fair enough admitting to that. Like, it's, we can all see it, but it's, it just felt like maybe the dial had turned. But obviously now he's scored. And I think you're right. I think the thing with Jimenez is we can all see that his all-round play has been very good. You can see how hard he's working in games. He was also unlucky. I think the, the chance that hit the post... I thought he'd just hit the post. I thought, oh my God, I mean, this is just <laughs> unbelievable the kind of luck this guy's going through. But then you watch it back and you see it's an unbelievable save from, from Martinez. And you just think, oh, is, is this guy going to get anything? And, and he got what he needed, which was Robinson making a great run, teeing up an open goal. Right, this is it. And, it, and this is the point where it has to, they have to kick on because Fulham, Fulham need that, need the goal scorer. Because I, I, I disagree a bit about the reaction. Um, you know the, the idea of the head dropping because I don't think we've seen that yet. I think that's a concern that could happen, but I think what was encouraging about Villa was actually the extent to which Fulham took control of the second half. Now Villa had played against AZ Altmar in the week, only made three changes for the game, so they're going to fade and they drop deeper as well. Like so, the, the game was there for Fulham to come back into, um, but they they did and they took control of the game. They created a load of chances, just didn't take them. Um, I mean, if Jimenez is one which Martinez saves goes in, then maybe get a count back. Again, it's that sour taste in the mouth because of the, mis- the, the, the third goal is such a killer. So it's the kind of thing you just hope inspires confidence because the thing with Jimenez is you don't want the rest of the team to lose faith in him. And it was beginning to feel a bit like, does everyone believe that Jimenez is going to score? Does everyone believe that there's goals in the team? Um, and when you're thinking that, then you know, are the players thinking that? You know, Is everyone thinking this? And that's quite hard to come back from, I think. So it has just has to be a turning point, especially for him. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, talking of turning points, that was, as we kind of alluded to, a tough run of games. And it, I don't think many were expecting us to pick up lots of points here between the two international breaks. What we have got now up to, you know, Boxing Day is eight games where you could say Fulham will look to take points in at least six of them I mean they'll look to take points in all of them but you'd expect Fulham to be in the mix for points in 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 six of them and actually that includes obviously the the EFL quarter final the EFL cup quarter final against Everton which is on Merseyside you know aside from that there's trips to Anfield to play Liverpool who are in cracking form and and Anfield's another fortress and St James's Park to play Newcastle but you know looking at the, the rest of these fixtures at home to Wolves at home to Nottingham Forest at home to West Ham United, at home to Burnley, away to Bournemouth. Drew, these feel like the games that kind of decide, not the outcome of the season, I think it's probably premature to be suggesting that, but definitely whether Fulham are going to be dragged into this relegation vortex or we're going to keep our heads above water and keep that gap alive. Yeah, I I said, um, I covered Sammy's BBC Sport column this week and I said that this run is starting to look season-defining in the sense that if we don't get what we need to get out of those, uh, you get the Christmas uh, fixture list pile up coming up and then uh, we're we're in the mix because, you know, regardless of what... You know, it's harder to come by points at the bottom, and that six-point gap will take clo- uh, longer to close than it would do if you're chasing at the um, the tops, for example. But it will still happen if we don't pick up the points that we need to in those next uh, half dozen games up until uh, Burnley on the 23rd of December. So you know, the, it, it is season-defining in that sense. Um, yeah, it, it, and with that comes its own pressures. You know, the ones that you're expected to get points out of. Uh, you know, brings its own. Its own set of pressures, but um, you know, it's uh, you always talk about fixtures, and everybody is saying at the beginning of the season when they come out, oh, you're going to play everyone 38 times. It doesn't matter. You're going to play every game, uh, every team twice, and you can play 38 games. What does it matter? 
Uh, well, obviously, we're seeing now that it does matter because, you know, your last four games are, were absolutely brutally tough. Uh, and so the so the points return showed. Uh, and so contrastingly, when you have a run where there are games that you can hope to pick up points from, you know, that that gives you a chance to build momentum. And, you know, we've seen before last season how far momentum can take you. So it does matter. Um, uh, and it's good that we've got a few weeks to a couple of weeks just to sort of lick our wounds and, and try and get back on track for that for that run, because it's going to be the most important so far out of these little mini sprints in between breaks. Yeah, I mean, Peter, I'd double down on that in saying that a lot of these games where points are on offer, in inverted commas, are at home. It's the Wolves at home game. It's the Forest at home game. It's the West Ham at home game. It's the Burnley at home game. Those four kind of home fixtures in a row are going to be crucial. And when you kind of look at, you know, yes, there's tough away trips in between them, but it's about kind of building momentum at the cottage as well. There'll be something in that that Marcus will look at and think, right, if we can get nine, ten points out of those four games that will be enough to make us very comfortable come Christmas time yeah I completely agree it does feel really quite important you know home advantage is is massive and I guess that's also been you know a key topic hasn't it with with ticket prices and Manchester United and and how that can affect things so I I think particularly for the team and when you actually look at these fixtures on paper like Wolves is not easy but um, Burnley's a big game you don't want to be to carry this run from this tricky run into what's coming in December because there are a lot of games, um, not much of a turnaround time. I think the encouraging thing is that it seems that the injuries are clearing a little bit. You know, you've got Tosin, nearly, but he's still up a little bit longer, but Kenny Tesse was back in the squad, Adama Traore came back on. Um, Rodrigo Muniz isn't too far away. So that's kind of what you need. You don't want to be going into this period with the squad looking weaker. But as you say, like, as Drew was outlining, really, once you get to Christmas, and if you come out of this batch, it's quite a big chunk of the season, isn't it? A real chunk of the season. Um, and if you're, you're still looking the other way, then suddenly January goes from, we should be looking for a striker to, you know, the alarm bells. And, and you don't want that. You don't want to be seen to be in that position. You don't want to be having to operate like that in a window. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really important month, definitely. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we'll move on from Villa. And just before we get into the main thrust of this episode, Peter reported this morning, Drew, that Jay Stamsfield has been moved up to the England under-21 squad after Cole Palmer was shifted into the senior squad for for Gareth Southgate's international break. It's great news. And we'll talk a bit more about the academy in in, in part three because we've got a couple of questions about them and, and, and how it kind of impacts Fulham's future going forward. But just reward for an incredible season so far at Birmingham for Jay. And it's nice to see him getting that kind of move through the age groups that allows him to continue developing and also to be playing around some of the most talented youngsters in the country. It's It's got to be a good thing. Yeah. And, you know, forget for a minute all of the debates. Should we, should we not bring him back like this? Every young player needs a breakout season where they really establish themselves. And, you know, we've seen more than one, uh, more than a few do that at St Andrews, come to think of it. And uh, it's really good for Jay to have that. I'm really pleased that he's been moved up to the under 21s because I think at this stage, you know, you want him to be playing with, as you say, some of the some of the players that are, you know, really making a mark in their first teams, uh, you know, already first team starters. I know there's a couple in the under 20s, but like under 21s is is the place you want to be if you're Jay Stansfield at this point. Um, you know, obviously it's it's directly he's a step below the first the, the men's first team. So I think it's really good. I think it's great for Jay. I think he's having that season that everybody was hoping that he was going to have. 
And, uh, you know, forget about this season for a minute. Like next season will be uh, the one he has at Fulham. I think it's got to be, regardless of what we do in January, regardless of what we do in the summer. I think Jay has us as a solid role to play at the cottage next season, which is exactly why we we brought him in. And it's nice to see because it doesn't happen often enough. Yeah, and, and I think I'd double down on, on what you're saying there. If Jay Stansfield is a bit part player at Fulham this season, getting five minutes, ten minutes off the bench here and there, is he in this squad? I mean, the answer is probably no. So, you know, when you actually put that into, into account and you look at some of the players in this squad, you know, Harvey Elliott's there playing relatively regularly for Liverpool. Carl Palmer was there until he was shifted up. You're looking at Rico Lewis, who's another one who's been moved into the seniors. But these are players playing week in, week out. You know, in, in the Premier League, James Trafford, Taylor Harwood Bellis, looking at Tino Libramento, who's made a massive impact at, at Newcastle, Jared Branthwaite at, at Everton. There's a lot of talent here. And, and for him to be involved within that setup, I think is is something that we can look at and go, that's that's a positive as well. And it's just further experience, it's further exposure to being in these kind of environments that should stand him in good stead for next season. With that, we'll take a break. And after the break, we're going to be looking at the season so far in a bit more generality about Peter's piece in The Athletic last week and some interesting words from Daniel's story in the I newspaper as well. Don't go anywhere. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. This is the Thursday Club. Jack Collins here with Peter Rutzler and Drew Heatley. We're going to take a little look at the season in more general terms now and, and where Fulham are compared to last season. Peter, you wrote a piece in The Athletic at the start of this week and it's titled Fulham need a goal scorer to cut out the mistakes or they risk sliding into trouble. And that very much feels like the overall aesthetic of this season. It has been one defined by you know, errors at one end and malaise at the other. And at this point in the season, it really does feel like a turning point is necessary in order to just shift the mood around the club. Yeah, absolutely. I I think we're at this point where I don't think anyone feels it's a crisis on the field. I don't think it's like we're at a point where everyone is, you know, really seriously worried. I think there's concern. But I don't think there's serious worry. But we're at a point where it can sort of go either way. And I think that's kind of, what I was sort of trying to get out with that because we've seen as we taplined in the first part that there's been a lot of repetition a lot of familiar problems each week um we know about the goal scoring issue that's been we've talked at so much length about that and and the fact that Fulham haven't really replaced Mitrovic and I think one of the interesting things and you know when I was reflecting on the Villa game and and, and writing the piece 
um, I was kind of in that sort of mood. And then I saw this stat, which basically said that Fulham's last seven wins um, have been against promoted teams, relegated teams, or Everton twice. And that's a run covering since February, since the win in, in Brighton, the smashing, the smashing grab in Brighton. It's about 26 games. Um, and I think Mitrovic has, would have missed about 21 or 22 of those. And that's the key thing, because obviously he missed some games through suspension. So it's not a new issue. Like it's a long-standing adjustment to life without Mitrovic and it hasn't been successful. You know, there's not there's no major strike. Obviously, Raul Jimenez has come in and it's not worked uh, as well as it could do. Um, and now we're at a point where it's like, when does this become a more serious concern? And that's, I think, where we're at. And it's... It's one of those things because you look at it and the table the table probably triggered the anxieties, I think, after after Villa and also some of the results, obviously Bournemouth beating Newcastle. Um, but you can look at it in another way in that Bournemouth played a Newcastle team that's very much bare bones. I still think they'll have difficulties this season. Uh, and also Fulham are closer to ninth than they are to the relegation zone, despite being two places clear. Um, so... <laughs> you're almost wrestling really with that sort of which way do you look which way do you turn and, and, and that's that's kind of in the performances as well because you know first half like quite a few first halves have been pretty pants and then there's been quite a few good second halves so um we're caught in this in between and this is the thing like i think was it brighton um i think i tweeted after brighton being like fulham have the same return as they did at the start of last season and that was a bit like, whoa, okay, that's a bit unusual. Yeah, Fixtures are different, obviously, results against different teams, which was pointed out. But it just felt like, okay, maybe it's not as bad as everything feels. Um, but I think we're certainly at a point where it's like, this can go two ways. And that actually plays into why December is pretty pretty important. Yeah, Drew, I think the thing that, I, that jumped out to me from, from Peter's article was the fact that only Burnley have fewer Premier League goals than Fulham who have 10 at this point in the season last year, Mitrovic had nine. It's a, it's a really heart rendering thing to, to read. And it, it reminds you of the difficulties that Fulham are always going to have. Look, and, and we're always going to have in replacing a striker of, of Mitrovic's caliber, because there's one thing signing a 25 million pound striker a couple of years back. There's another thing that striker growing into a 50, 60 million pound striker, and then not having, you know, for not only having the, difficulties in replacing them in terms of okay that's a goal output that needs to be replaced also the hard wiring that happened around Mitrovic in this side that he was so crucial to the build-up play to to everything happening but also if you buy a 25 million pound striker they're not going to be as good as the 60 million pound striker you've just sold that's a tricky kind of balance to strike and you have to then allow someone to grow into it I think maybe the frustration comes in the idea that Fulham haven't got a project striker in Raul there's someone there who's obviously been and done it and Fulham got for a reduced price because of the situation around him. But actually, a lot of it comes down to the idea that even if Fulham had gone and spent £25 million on striker, which that person I think should have done, and, and gone and about bought someone who was 23, 24, and allowed to grow into the prime of being in a career, and look, maybe then you have the same problem in three years' time, but equally you will have gained another three years along the road and along the pathway. 50, 60 million pound strikers are probably not going to be coming to a club of Fulham's stature right now. They're probably going to be looking for moves to a team, at the very least, playing in some sort of European competition. And that's where the, the difficulties arise. 
but it also lays quite bare the kind of stark reality of the situation in that the loss, I think we all knew the loss was going to be severe, but actually the loss to our creation, to the team's kind of image as a whole, the aura as a whole has completely changed. And that's difficult in that we know last year, Luton come to Craven Cottage, that they're all going to be terrified of Alexander Mitrovic. He terrified top six defences. He terrified bottom three defences. He terrified everybody because of his calibre, but also because of his aura. And that aura seems to have dissipated and also maybe affected everybody else as well. Yeah, we have not seen people fill that gap in terms of the aura yet. But, you know, I can I can hear people now screaming, oh, can we stop talking about Mitrovic? Can we stop? That's all. It's going to be the story of the whole season because of the inefficiencies of our recruitment. Yeah, Fulham are not a side that will ever, in the, in the near future, whatever, not going to be spending £60 million on a striker. We're, we're just not going to be doing that. So we need to, everybody talks about Brentford and Brighton's recruitment and how sort of progressive it is and how revolutionary. It's not. It's just the way that clubs our size have to operate nowadays because we've not got the firepower, we've not got the sponsorship deals, we've not got the money to f- operate in, within FFP to spend that sort of money on strikers. So we have to be planning three steps ahead. And we we absolutely weren't. You know, Jimenez is obviously brought in to be a support. He's now being used as a Band-Aid. He's not a very effective Band-Aid at the moment. And and that's that's just always going to... We're going to keep talking about it and talking about it because it's not our fault. We're not, we're not in charge of recruitment. It's, this is just going to be the story of the season. Um, you talk about obviously, yeah, the, there's two things there's the goals and then there's the hardwiring of the team. And that's something that goes a little bit uncritiqued. I think, uh, you know, at the moment we, the, the wingers, we, we should be expecting a lot, a lot more that from our wingers than we have been at the moment. Willian's playing like it's, it's just turned midnight and he's turned back into a pumpkin. Like, thank God we only got one, uh, year on that deal and we didn't do the two that he was after because I mean we'd be stung there wouldn't we not not least financially but we'd be stuck with him for two years like I don't expect him to be getting an extension at this rate um you know Wilson has flattered to deceive although he played really well on the second half on on uh Sunday at Villa Park and I I personally hope we give him some more chances because uh I think he's probably got the most about him at the moment in terms of our wingers so uh, hopefully using him a bit more going forward but like there's been so much uh, so little said about the contributing uh, the contributions from from the wings at the moment and that's it is a hard wiring from uh, Mitro but there's two things those two things the goals and the hard wiring one one can be sorted faster than the other you have to wait till January to sign a striker so the goals from the striker is something you've got to put to the side the hard wiring of the way we play and the way that we're missing you know we're missing our head as it were that should have been fixed quicker and should be on its way to being fixed already but it's not and then questions need to be asked about the the tools being used and and the man behind the tools and i'm, I'm just saying that is just that's just a fact yeah 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 it, it's difficult to it's a difficult one to, to come to terms with and i think that you know we're, we're seeing lots of different things it's not you know a great thing and what i did like though from from marco silver peter was that desire to sort of take responsibility for the situation. The fact that he's like, right, this is on me. I need to sort it out. And it does feel like there are some big decisions ahead of him now in this period where he's going to have to either try and adapt the style to do something else because at the moment it's not working or it's going to take taking some real risks with with personnel and players in order to try and find a spot. I think Drew's right. I think Drew makes a really good point about the hardwiring and the team around Mitrovic. 
Um, because what it's actually also showing is there aren't many other goal scorers in this team. Um, I mean, Harry Wilson scored in the Premier League before a handful of goals, Bobby Deckard over Reed scored a handful, but no one who can take on the mantle and, and, and really just shoulder it a bit more. Um, part of that's been form, part of that's adjustment, but also there's no one who's there to, to do that. And I think, you know, I remember when Silver was appointed, I think we talked about this before, but Silver's old teams, and actually I think we maybe discussed it at the start of the season, you know, his, his teams before coming to Fulham weren't reliant on the number nine getting all of his goals. It was sort of the other way around, you know, they were bringing others into play. You're looking at, you know, the, 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 number, the number 10 or uh, one of the wide players scoring more of the goals. I'm thinking Richarlison and Watford or Fortunis at Olympiacos. Um, I can't remember the more top of my head, but it was, it was different. Um, and I think he, he acknowledged that. But yet, I think what's happened is we've now got a, a team where you could, you could shift it around. I mean, we've got number nines that I think generally we haven't really criticised their link-up play too much. Um, I mean, it hasn't been, as I think, as effective as Mitch Fitch. I think that's obvious. And I think the aura plays a big part in that. Um, but Fulham are still able to get up the field. Um, that final execution that's been the problem. And, you know, I think there is a, an, a, an element of someone's got to step up it, take that mantle, take that aura. Um, you want Harry Wilson to do it. I think he did that against Villa in the second half, but he needs to do it consistently. Willian, as, as Drew was saying, is, it just hasn't hit the same levels. Pereira's not hit the same levels. Alex Awogi looks like he might, and I think that's the encouraging thing. Um, but he's playing in that sort of more reserved eight role, isn't he? He's not playing as the advanced ten. Um, so I think that's a part of the broader question, really. Um, and that goes back to the, the broader strategy come, come January and, and, and how the, the team's going to look going forward, because... A goal scorer would be fantastic and it would be would help, but you've got to re rewire the team, as you guys have been saying. Just to kind of duck back on that point, Peter, and I, I was talking, you know, various to various people about this, but something that came up on, on, on the Fulham Fans Island group um from Mike Gregg, who many of you remember from from Twitter, was is it time for the dogs of war? And it's something that I've sort of suggested loosely in the past, but Silver is wedded to this four, two, three, one in many ways. And that four-two-three-one was really based on the striker bringing in others into play and, and actually being a focal point and, and the kind of main man in this team. There comes a point where, especially in these games against Villa, where I thought that the midfield was overrun, to be honest, in, in the first half. And McGinn got under Polina's skin a little bit and obviously got the booking that now rules him out of this Wolves game. So not necessarily for the Wolves game, but does there come a point where Silva has to look at that and go, maybe we need to just shift the formations around a little bit. Maybe there are games where you deploy Joao Sasha Lukic and Harrison Reed together as a midfield three because it will allow Fulham to just regain some dominance in the middle of the park. And maybe that means that Awobi goes out to the wing on one side and Wilson on the other and you play someone at, you know through the middle who's going to play a little bit more off the shoulder or get in behind or, or try to make things happen in a slightly different way. But there comes a point where you go, okay, I know you like this 4-2-3-1 system and it worked really, really well last season and it had real points to it that you're going, right, that, that works perfectly. But right now it doesn't feel the same. And there comes you know, a point in the season where you maybe look at that and go, well, if I can see that we're being overrun in midfield, Marco Silva can surely see that too because he has a far greater tactical mind than any of us. And if we're looking at this and going, why can't we just regain a little bit of a foothold and allow ourselves a little bit more control in games? 
then maybe that system has to change as well. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Um, I don't think the tactical system will change in terms of its like basics because he's just never changed his setup. It's always been the same. It's just a type of players. But I think that's where I think there's an interesting point to be made. Like, does there come a point where the type of players you're you're building change? You sort of the last couple of games has gone for creators with Pereira and Iwobi in the same midfield um, against quite tough opposition. So it felt kind of bold to do that. Mixed results, not successful in terms of results, but there have been elements of the games that have been quite good. Man United was actually, overall, was okay. First half was dull, but second half, best team and, and lost. Um, but I agree. I think there are players, I think midfield, who probably will feel like I, I deserve a shot, I deserve some time here. They're like, we're not picking up results, we're doing familiar things. Um, so maybe you'd say, I think Tom Kearney probably is, it fits into that bracket. Um, he always seems to impress whenever he comes on. Um, always feel this feeling with Tom Kearney, you know, just five years ago in this, in, with Silver or someone like that in the Premier League and you know, what kind of level could he have attained? But um, I, he's one of those. Um, Sasa Lukic, as you say, um, Harrison Reed. Um, I, I, there, there are a few. I think you're right. And I think that's where maybe there'll be some, some change. If Traore comes back, I think he can really mix things up. And I think that could be one way in which we can do that um, in those uh, advanced areas. Um, but I think in terms of the setup, like he's always, it's just in terms of the actual basics of what it looks like on a whiteboard. I, I just, I just, if, he, if he ever did change that, I'd be concerned. I'd be really concerned because that's just his identity. Like that's We've seen how he's evolved positions like Seri to Palina, which is really quite smart way for Fulham to adapt to the Premier League but if he suddenly turned around and went away from his back four the holding midfielder his eight and a ten and the four wingers and the four and the focal point I think um yeah you're looking at something something would have gone very very strange I think for, for that to happen all right last bit from this segment and I just want to go to this piece from Daniel Story in the eye which has been doing the rounds on on social media it's a, it's a very very good piece um and I spoke to Daniel for it, so that's not the good bit. His stuff's, his stuff's the good bit. Just, yeah, there we go. Bit. But more than that, I think the point being, yeah, yeah, it's self-plug. It's not really. Um, the, the point being that he said, you know, Fulham feel like we're drifting a little bit, Drew. And the, the quote is exactly, he says, in those circumstances, a club must look within for solace. It must re-engage and re-energize its supporter base and its community so that when it needs to lean on them for reciprocal love, it finds only open arms. The clubs that punch above their weight are the ones where everyone pulls in the right direction. Ignore the fan base's strength at your peril, which is exactly what Fulham have done. He goes on to talk about the, the ticket protest and, and all of the things about that. But it does feel just like generally on and off the pitch, things aren't necessarily everyone looking at this in the same way. Now, obviously, you're going to have discussions and debates around who should play, all of these things, fine, within a fan base. That's that's natural and it's part of the, the cycle and, and the world of football. But it just feels like there are a lot of disparate parts right now and the club are not really trying to anchor everything together in a way that you'd expect them to in a season where they must have expected there to be at least some drop-off considering the departures in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always liken it to like... Yeah, you, know, you concede and you have the the hushed Craven Cottage crowd, and then after a few seconds, everybody's up on their feet and saying, you know, you know galvanizing the team and galvanizing each other. And and at the moment, I think the the thing that you can't put your finger on is that 
there's still that hushed silence because when the the club is acting like it doesn't care about you, when it goes wrong, you're thinking, you know, the fans are thinking, well, why should we care about you? Like we care about the players and we want them to do well. We care about Marcus Silva, but, you know, the fat cats in the boardroom who have been acting like, you know, they're running Real Madrid in terms of popularity and, and not Fulham Football Club. Uh, you know, why should we give a toss about you? So I feel like that, yeah, that is probably one of the sort of the biggest drivers of this um, of this feeling at the moment uh, of disillusionment. And we need to get uh, we need to get that sort of togetherness back. And, you know, there's so many big issues of which we've covered so extensively that, you know, you're not going to fix all of those. But how do we get, uh, you know, everybody sort of pulling in the same direction even in the short term uh just just to try and get a bit of this uh that feeling back around the club because at the moment yeah like we're going into the international break and i personally can't stand them i'm, the, I'm like the anti-dom bets when it comes to international breaks but actually at the moment i'm kind of like ready for a little break and <laughs> and ready to sort of like have a little bit of a breather because uh it's 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 not been a fun thing to be around at the moment and it's just how do we get that back it's uh it's a really difficult question. I think another thing as well, I think what it touches on is you could easily have, with this season gone, we kind of need a, sort of a supporter buy-in because, you know, Vlosmicevic, we've not replaced him, whether that's because we didn't get the right striker in or the right one was available, manager's contract situation was up in the air, fine. At that point, you can go, right, this season's not going to be great. I think everyone anticipated this season's going to be trickier than last season. No, we're not going to maybe not hit the same heights without Mitrovic. But it's harder to get that buy-in when you don't have people necessarily on board. And it's, it is sort of the, you know, with everything we've spoken about, it's that, it's the other factor, it's the other element to, to the fog, as, as Daniel writes. And it's, it's not disconnected from the team. You know, Silva said he doesn't want it to be a distraction going forward because if there's no resolution, then you expect there may be another protest. So, yeah, and it's also just an easy win, isn't it? So it's being passed up and I think it, it just does lead to that feeling of disillusionment when things on the field don't go right because sometimes that can can cover for that. So, um, yeah, again, plays into why December could be another big month. Well, in, in many ways, I think, because, you know, the last point on this is someone like Joao Polina, who very nearly left Drew in the summer, um, was was wanted by Bayern, clearly, you know, wanted to, to play at, at that level. And there is talk that Bayern will come back in in January. Now, whether that's feasible or not and whether Fulham will sell in January or not is a different question. But... Right now, when you're looking at this team and he's looking at the players around him and looking at the results and looking at the way that we've fallen apart in, in certain elements of the last couple of games, you must be thinking, well, if Bayern come back in, in the, you know, in the top of the Bundesliga, or, or playing at the top of the Bundesliga, they remain second to Bayer Leverkusen at the moment, but in the later stages of the Champions League, it's quite difficult to convince players to be like, no, no, we're, we're building something here if it doesn't feel like that. And right now, from a fan's perspective, I don't think it does feel like Fulham are building something for the future. So I can't imagine that it's going to be much different in inside the camp. Yeah, absolutely. And it feel it felt like the summer window ended too early for us and and that's not because it didn't there wasn't enough time during the summer for us to get our work done because there's enough time for everybody to get their work done. But you have, you know, people are expecting a striker to come in because of course we would because we've lost our main one and then uh, Polinia might be going. Are we going to bring somebody in? And it all ended with you know 
everything unfinished. Polina comes back and there is no striker. And it's like, we're just all just waiting for January. But as we all know, nothing really significant happens in January. Nothing good anyway, especially when it comes to football. Hey, Breda Hangelin came in in January. Right. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I'm always just thinking in Matroglu, but uh, yeah, Breda Hangelin did. Usually not a lot happens in January. There's no value in that market. We know that. Uh, so then, you, you in your head you're moving along to next summer uh, and so you then everybody's already sort of saying this season is you know going to be almost a write-off in the sense that we you know are we going to stay up uh, probably are we going to pull up trees no and it's all just uh, we've basically wasted a year because we didn't finish what we should have started we should have finished in the summer so yeah like it doesn't feel like we're doing much moving it feels like we're treading water so you can't blame somebody like Jao to move on if he if that opportunity arose in Jan uh but you know conversely you know if we do uh get this fabled marquee signing in in January a lot of that depends on you know not to put too fine a point on it December which you keep talking about it becomes really really important because if you're 18th or 17th 18th in December uh, in January it's a hell of a lot harder to attract even a loan signing who wants to impress uh than if you're sort of up in 11th and 12th but my final thing is, really, it all comes down to perspective again. You know, as Peter said, we're closest in ninth than to the relegation zone. And it was yesterday, five years ago, when we had the most uh, calamitous day in our recent Premier League history. Saki and Jukanovic bringing in Ranieri in that basket case of a season where we were travelling 100 miles an hour and trying to sort our, you know, put our wheels on the bloody car. Whereas now there are things that need to be fixed, but we have at least on the playing side of things, we have an identity under Silver. We have a, a squad that clearly is together, you know, in PSP, so going out for their dinners and things like that. It's a world away from five years ago. It's not to say that things are rosy at all, but it it has been, been worse. worse. Yeah, it has been worse. <laughs> this is a fair point. I think the other thing to to throw in there as well is just the fact that Silver signed his contract. Like, I think, I know it, it feels like it's a drift and whatever, but... That, that does bring a lot of people together I, in terms of the players and things like that and the direction of travel. And yes, I think there's a big question to ask about Palinia uh, in January. Um, but in terms of strategy and what that means longer term, it's, it's far more suggestive of a direction that they're going to go in. And I think that the issue is that, like I said before, like this season you could go kind of a write-off. This is going to be difficult. We're going to be okay because there's three worst teams in the Premier League and We've got good squad generally with the, well missing some key ingredients, but there isn't. It's harder to get the buy-in with everything else that's going on. So, um, I think there are there are elements to say that, that in terms of the longer term, there is a direction of travel. It's just it doesn't feel like that at the moment, does it? No, very much doesn't. All right, we will leave that segment there, and after the break, we're going to be back answering your questions. Stick with us. <laughs> Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Thursday Club here. Jack Collins with Drew Heatley and Peter Rutzler. We've got some questions on X, formerly known as Twitter, to go through. We're going to start with some on the Academy because there's a lot of interest, I think, at the moment. We talked about Jay Sansfield in part one, but there's been some other impressive names knocking around uh, across the English Football League as well. This one from Lee Warner. He says... Would you be looking to loan out or bring the following players into the first team squad for next season? Jay Stansfield, Marshall Goddo, Defugeroles and Luke Harris. Good question. For me, I, I think loans for all, but maybe not Jay. 
Um, I wonder if Luke Harris would go in in January. I think he was close to a loan in the summer. Um, I think he needs to play. I think he can play at a senior level, and I think it's about finding the right fit for him. Um, in terms of next season, I think um, Marshall's doing fantastically well at Wigan. Um, he's in the England under-20 squad. Like um, his, his story is fantastic, coming from Margate, and a little over a year later, he's tearing up in League One. Like, um, hopefully, he can keep going in that that direction. I think Luke Defusier probably would need some senior minutes. I don't think he's quite there yet. I think he still was asked about that relatively recently, and I think there's still a bit of time to go before you can tell whether he could be consistently available in the Premier League. We did very good against Ipswich. You know, if you keep grabbing the opportunities that come your way, then you know, sky's the limit, isn't it? So um, the one thing with Jay Stansfield is um, like he's a fantastic talent. You know, I think we can all see that. And great news, he's got his under twenty one call up as we talked about earlier. Just wonder where he fits. Um, is he the number nine yet for Fulham? I don't think he. I think he plays quite well off another striker. So does that mean he you play him in a slightly more reserve role with Fulham, or do you play him in a wide role, which we saw last season? So I think that might come into the equation a little bit in terms of where he suits. But if he keeps doing what he's doing at Birmingham, he forces the issue a bit, and. Um, you know, it would be interesting to see what, what direction he goes in. It's interesting with uh, Diffusions, isn't it? Uh, in terms of, we, we sort of did it with Stansfield. We put we gave him a sort of a show of faith and a little taste of first team minutes last season, at the beginning of last season, before sending him out on loan. And I kind of feel like that would be obvious, that would be the same sort of thing that we do with Diffusions. Um, I think, yeah, I think Stansfield after this season, as he said, will probably come back and play a role. Um, but I agree, Peter, obviously, I think the rest will, will go. I think Harris, was, as, as Peter said, was almost going to go anyway. So that's going to be tied up in January. I wouldn't be surprised to see Diffusions go in January too, because there's no time like the present. Um, I'm doing a bit of scouting in a couple of weeks. I'm going to Leighton Orient versus Wigan. So I'm going to get to see Godo firsthand, see how he's doing. Um, I'll be there to support my local club, but I'll I'll be secretly really cheering him on. Uh, to see what he gets up gets up to because uh, you know it's nice to have uh, these young players come and fly the flag and and you know do their own personal careers the world of good so I'm looking forward to that yeah I mean I think especially with Godot it's been very very impressive what he's done at Wigan but equally you saw Jay go out to you know a, a division below the championship last year and then make the championship move this year and and force the issue and I'd imagine that that's exactly what Fulham will look to do with Marshall Goddo as well, give him, you know, this season, be like, okay, that was good. Go and do it in the championship. And then we'll have a talk about whether that's enough to, to push push the buttons to, to get you in. And look, it's a difficult thing. And actually, I thought this was an, an interesting one from Connor. He said, you know, he said, can you ask Peter to ask Marco at the next press conference if the academy being so good but unutilised was a big factor in him staying and if he plans to lean on it given the age of the squad and the players needing to be replaced in the coming years without spending loads. But he also added, for podcast purposes, I guess you could adapt this to if you guys would like us to dive headfirst into using academy players next season to fill out the squad and focus our recruitment on improving the 11 more, allowing us to spend bigger and get more quality or to go else. But this is the eternal dichotomy, right? And look, Fulham are more stable now and should be able to start feeding a little bit more of this academy pipeline into the first team. It's something we've been crying out for during these kind of wild yo-yo years where like, it's very difficult to throw academy products in when you're in a relegation scrap or you're in a promotion, you know, chasing campaign, which is very important financially. So if Fulham can, you know, stay up again, 
you know, establish within the the Premier League's kind of, okay, we're here now. We're, we're not going anywhere for a little while. Then that's one thing. But it's another thing, especially with players who are strikers and centre-backs, who are the ones we're really talking about here, to actually be like, cool, we're going to trust you to lead the line. We just talked about the fact that Fulham couldn't go out and spend 50, 60 million on a striker, but that's actually what you'd need to replace Alexander Mitrovic, you know, effectively. And we're also going, should we give an academy product a go? And it's quite a different, you know, we're talking about very different things there. And look, obviously, no one, you know, the fan base would love to see one of our own come through and, and you know, produce and become that talent that we're, we're all looking for. But it is rare in the Premier League that you see these players breaking through. And so it's it's a question of making sure that, that balance is right because, you know, academy products are not just for, oh, they're all going to break through into the first team. Getting academy products into any of the four football leagues in, in England is, is an achievement and also helps the club financially, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things need to be taken into account. And we're talking about the very cream of the crop here in Stansfield and Goddard and, and Harris and the Fusaroles who have all been in or around the first team squad, even if it's just in cup matches. And yet there is a, a chance that you look at some of those products and they, they are just a little bit shy of what the quality threshold is for if Fulham wants to kick on and, and push towards the European spots, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, I agree. It is that funny balance, isn't it, between we want the academy players to, to play, but also can we sign X, Y, Z? Um, I think I think the key thing is is that stability in top flight. That's going to make a massive difference. There's always been the discussion is that it can make a big difference to retention. Um, I think what's encouraging is, I had a conversation recently, and you know, when you actually look at some of the players playing in Europe at the moment, you've got, um, obviously, Harvey Elliott mentioned, Labra Carvalho hasn't been playing as much, but he's been had the odd appearance in the Bundesliga, Matarali at Celtic. Like Fulham are actually doing pretty well in terms of Europe-wide for players moving into and building careers, in, even in the Premier League now, you know, at Adebayo and at, at Luton, and um, we've got Cameron Burgess, we come up against him in uh, Dan Byrne in Champions League. So um, that's all, as you said, Jack, that can, that can benefit the club. Um, I think the question of getting them into the first team is, is, is the big challenge, isn't it? That's finding the right time to do it. I think I wrote a piece recently after Defugio's debut about how it works with, with Fulham and Marco Silva and how, you know, if it's a lot of sessions, if they're position-based, then if the players aren't there, then the academy player is brought in and then they'll go in, into the sessions and you either sink or you swim. You know, if you're good enough, he'll keep you around. If you're not, then 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 he won't. Um, and with the Fusarol, obviously, he's benefited from Diop Antosin being out. So there's a right-sided centre-back. Devan Tanton as well on that side at right-back with, with Kenny Tete being out. So the options there so I think as long as that happens and continues then these players have a chance to impress in training and if they can do enough and they get those moments it's about taking them yeah 100% 100% all right one for you here Drew uh, this is from Connor Reigns he says I feel that the calmness and ball playing abilities that Tom Kearney brings in possession outweigh his limitations out of possession but am I missing something I'm a bit confused as to why he's only getting a few minutes in most games when it comes to Kearney, I think it really is as simple as managing his minutes. I think it's fitness. You know, he's he's coming, he's he's he's, in, he's always been sort of an energetic player, and he's now in his early thirties, which with a history of of some quite sort of uh, long term injuries. So I think it for Marco, it's uh, it's taken us don't forget a long time to get him into this place where he can have a consistent run of games without having uh, an injury that puts him out for four, five, six months. Um, and whatever they've been doing at Mosford Park, they found that secret source, that balance there to 
make sure that he keeps coming in consistently, having an impact in uh, in games when he comes on, uh, and coming and and having a run of games in terms of uh, consistently. Like I think last season he was. He played in almost every game, didn't he? In some way or another, um, and that's you know I, I, you would have you would have never believed that to be the case two or three years earlier. So I, I think, regardless of of his qualities, I don't think we're ever going to see Kearney have a have a starting run again unless we are so severely depleted we've got no choice. Because whatever's happening at the moment uh, is the best we've managed him in uh, fitness wise in years. Yeah. I mean, Peter, his role in controlling games is still really important to, to this team. And he does step up and, and make things happen. But whether that's he has that ability to control a game for 90 minutes still in the Premier League, probably still questionable in terms of fitness. Yeah, I think, what was his last start? I think it was Man City. I mean, in the, in the, in the Premier League. Um, City, right? Yeah. Um, and I thought he did pretty well in that. Um, uh, you know, the first half was 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 good until the the um, the VAR decision and the, the offside, the, the inexplicable offside, um, and the, and then uh, you know once that once that happens, you know the mentality changes and it was it became up, an uphill struggle. So I don't see any reason why he couldn't start more games, other than what Drew said. You know, it's whether there's an element of managing his minutes, and um, you know when you look at the fixtures coming up and how tight they are, that might yield some opportunities. I think. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets an opportunity. I think it's quite clear that Silva trusts him because you know, last year he was so involved, that super sub, whether he'd be coming on to change games, which he did really often, or to help see out games. He was able to do both, and I think it was, it was a real asset and a key reason as to why Fulham did as well as they did last year. Sort of an, a bit unsung in that sense. So um, but I, I think that comes back to you know the point about do do others get a get an opportunity and, and he would he would fit into that I think. All right, last two questions. Uh, this one for both of you. I'll start with you, Drew. Uh, Patrick Brown says everyone is talking about how we need a new striker in January, and I agree. However, with three already on the books, surely one would have to go before we bring another in. Also, I can't seem to understand how Willian doesn't come in for more criticism this season. Well, he's had some on this podcast, so uh, I hope that bit hope that bit's been suffice. But it is a good point that Fulham are almost certainly not going to bring in a fourth striker without letting at least one of these go. Yeah, 100%. It's funny, isn't it? Like, uh, I hadn't really thought of it. Um, but yeah, obviously one will go and you could argue that they're all fighting for their lives at the moment, not that you'd know it necessarily. Well, Bar, Bar Muniz is impressed, but again, you know, for all of his, uh, for all of his industry and, uh, and enthusiasm, uh, you know, has he done enough to to stay in in January? Who bloody knows? Um, yeah, interesting. I mean, I would expect it would to it would probably be Vinicius if he had to guess, simply from uh, the aforementioned Muniz on the upward trajectory and and Raúl Jiménez being brought in fairly recently. But then again, Vinicius is a is a is a silver guy, so who knows? Oh, don't bloody know. Someone's going, but who is it? I don't know. Someone's got to go. It's like a big brother eviction. Yeah. <laughs> no one's uh, no one's quite got to the to the heart of it yet. Well, or someone doesn't come in. That's the uh, that's the other oh, of this option that that is out. That's there. the one that's happening. Yeah, I'd imagine. I'd imagine on on Fulham terms that might be the one. Um, I would just sort of add to that from from Andrew Peter. He says, as a fan base, we've spoken a lot about the need for a striker in the January window, but we also don't have. Do we not also have a creativity issue? If I- Trackers aren't getting sufficient service. It feels like we have issues on the wings as well. Look, it, it dials back into that William point that he hasn't 
been at his best this season. Maybe that's to do with the lack of a preseason because of the time it took to sign that contract and the fact that he hasn't quite looked you know, as physically sharp as he did last year. The fact that Wilson is hot and cold, uh, I'm still on the on the wagon that I think he's going to come good and I believe in Harry Wilson, but there are question marks there. And Adama Traore has been injured. So I think that what Fulham have maybe lacked is, you know, ability to change things up when players aren't playing well out wide. And, and maybe that's the, the question mark of a kind of a fourth depth option, Peter, that might be necessary just to, to turn things around a little bit. Yeah, as in change things up, but in a way that's actually quite materially different to what players that are being used, if you see what I mean, in terms of changing profile. And I think Traore provides that. And I think we saw that as well uh, over the weekend. Um, I still think they're good players there. I mean, particularly Pereira and Awobi. And these, these players are, have the ability to, to create things. Um, Pereira is not in the best form. He's not hit the same heights last year. I think we talked about Willian. I wonder if there's an element of trying to play him into form. Um, hasn't quite worked yet. Um, so I think there's a case for rotation. But in terms of the actual quality, I don't think that's just been lost necessarily over light in terms of Pereira or Iwobi. Or, or and maybe it's a case of, as we talked about, shuffling the pack a little bit and, and seeing what other combinations can, can prove successful. Yeah. All right. Last question to you, Drew. This is from Dan McGrath, Dan the Soundman. He says, still no sign of the burger sauce making a return to the hammy entrance concessions. The last time they removed it, we got relegated. Then I think it was reinstated and we got better and then promoted. I don't think this is a coincidence. I always get the tough ones. <laughs> the real tough questions. Uh, I don't get food at the ground. And uh, so I didn't. I, I'm, it's not even a protest. It's just, you know, I prefer, I love my pub grub. Um, so I'm always, I'm always sufficiently full before I get there. So I didn't know about the burger sauce. But what I will say is it is, uh, it is a goat sauce. So if they have taken it away, uh, get it straight back and let's get the yellow card uh, protest back out to, to get the burger sauce back because that is outrageous. Yeah, it's one thing raising ticket prices, another thing taking away the burger sauce. That is, is absolutely not acceptable. Uh, and on that note, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Mr. Peter Rutzler, live from Paris. Thank you very much for having me. Hopefully the uh, connection wasn't too bad and wasn't too much background noise. <laughs> We'll, we'll make do. It's better to have you with background noise than not have you at all, Peter. Thank you very much to Mr. Drew Heatley. Thank you, Jack. I'll be back again one day, but daddy's coming home, isn't he? So uh, I'll bid you adieu for now. Yeah, Sam, Sammy will be back next week. I'm sure you'll all be delighted to hear him get his lunatic <laughs> off the microphone and back into the analyst's chair. Um, I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Thursday Club. Thank you so much for listening as ever. There is a special Fulhamish episode coming. It's a crossover with the guys at The Upshot who do brilliant, funny newsletters on Twitter and, and beyond. Their podcast is excellent as well. And so Sammy, George Cooper and Zach from The Upshot are going to be looking at Fulham's biggest wrongums across the course of this international break. It's one to look forward to. So I'll leave you on that note. But for now, enjoy the international break. Enjoy the break from Fulham. We'll be back after it, back at the cottage. I'm very excited to be there. You won't.